0: Luke chapter 8, and uh, let's pray as we get into God's Word this morning. Lord, we, just, uh, we thank you for this time that we could spend with you, Jesus, with each other. We pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would just open the Word of God to our, our hearts, Lord. We do pray that you'd bring understanding to us, Lord, that we would have a spirit of wisdom, and revelation from you, Lord, that we might know Jesus better, that we might know our Father in heaven better. And so, Lord, we just ask your blessing on this time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, sweet. So we're just going to do the look at the first 21 verses of chapter 8 this morning, and um, it comes on the heels of the woman. You remember the woman who came to Jesus at the Pharisee's house, and there at that house, while he was eating dinner, she wet his feet, With her tears, she wiped them with her hair, anointed his feet with oil, and Jesus said to her, Your faith has saved you, go in peace. And then we read this in verse 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom he had from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna the wife of Chuza Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means so i think it's always fun to just kind of wrap your head around the biblical account and story and to think about it i don't know what you picture in your mind's eye when you think about you know jesus cruising through the countryside of israel from community to community town to town city to city with his entourage. If you just picture in in your minds the 12, that's kind of the tendency for me. I just think Jesus and the 12 disciples. But Luke reports to us that that wasn't the case, that it was far more than just uh, the 12 that were traveling around with Jesus. There were men, uh, there were women, there were the 12 men whom he had chosen and many women who had benefited from His ministry among them, it's amazing. Mary Magdalene, cast out seven demons out of her. Isn't that wild? Um, There was this woman, Joanna, who was, I think as you read this, would have been a woman of prominence. Her husband was the manager of King Herod's uh, household looking after his affairs. You got this woman, Susanna, as well as many other women women. And what's amazing to me as you read this about these women is that it says this. They were, they were serving Jesus and supporting the ministry out of their own means. I, in fact, I read that and I think, wow, these women were supporting the men. They were totally integral to what was happening with the ministry around the Lord Jesus. And I, and I think that our tendency is to forget that. We just think of you know Jesus and the 12, and I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit includes this information for us In the word of God, I I think about that woman who was in chapter 7 washing the feet of Jesus with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair and, and the oil. That was the fruit of her experiencing the forgiveness that can be ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the natural response is when Jesus sets you free and he does an amazing work in your heart and in your life is that You want to participate with him. You desire to follow him. Like those five that shared their testimony with us this morning, a little bit about what's been going on with their own hearts. Your desire is to be near him and to give back to him. And that's what happened for these women. And so from city to city, town to town, they were traveling with Jesus and the 12. Jesus was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, proclaiming... uh, the kingdom has to do with the rule of God. And what Jesus was preaching was the announcement that the kingdom of God could extend over an individual's life and and over uh, their heart, that it was not simply the kingdom of God, a physical kingdom like the kingdoms of men, but it was a spiritual kingdom that could reach into your life and transform how you lived and what you live for and the values that you had it stretched beyond the realm of temporal, material things and could change the heart of a person, the rule of God could happen from the inside of your life, not just the outside. The rule of the kingdom could transform your life if you would respond to the word of God in faith and repent of your sin. And so the kingdom is good news for those who were searching for peace and looking for forgiveness. Now it says this in verse four. And when a crowd was gathering and a people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The scriptures tell us this about Jesus, that when he taught the crowds, he never did so without using parables. We know that, right? I mean, those of those that have kicked around church for a long period of our lives, we we know that. And What's so interesting is this, is that when we read in Scripture, we find this out about about Jesus, that whenever he would use a parable to teach the crowd, he would never explain it. He would never give its meaning. He He would wrap up and he would say something like we just read here. He, with ears to hear, let him hear. He wouldn't explain the spiritual meaning. He wouldn't explain the moral meaning. He would tell the parable and then he would leave his listeners to have to sort it out and figure it out for themselves. It's amazing. So he tells this parable about sowing seed, you know. Farming was well understood in that culture, you know, not so much for us on the sunshine coast. And I would say this, like farming in those days looked a lot different than farming Today in Canada, you know, I I heard recently that the equipment is like so efficient on the prairies that lots of those combines and stuff, when they're traveling across the the prairies, the technology is so amazing that it's even measuring different things in the soil, measuring uh, moisture contents, and and the farmer just got to be behind the wheel and the machine does everything for him. 2,000 years ago, it wasn't like that. When a farmer went out to... So the seed, is seed was good. There was nothing wrong with his seed. But what we read here, what Jesus tells this crowd is, is that three quarters of it was wasted. Three quarters of it wasted. Doesn't seem very efficient. But the farmer didn't have to be concerned about that because the seed that did take, it was going to produce a crop that was, would far exceed that which was lost and did not take. Often, you know, in that culture, a farmer wouldn't have been working with perfectly plowed fields. There were rocks in areas, there were paths where the ground was compacted. The farmer just had to scatter the seed, and he knew this, three out of four are going to be wasted. They're going to land on bad soil, but what takes is going to take, and I'll be happy with that. Some of the spots, there was paths, Jesus said, where... The ground would be so hard, the seed would just stay on the surface of the ground and the birds could come and collect it and eat it and consume it. Other spots, the soil was shallow and there were rocks underneath it. And so yes, the seed would take hold in the ground and quickly sprout up, but the the roots couldn't get deep enough to establish uh, the plant. And so the crop would dry out really quickly and die. Other seed, Jesus said, fell among the weeds and it would be choked as the young plant was coming up alongside of the weeds. It would just be strangled and would die. But some of the seed, some of it would land on good soil. And Jesus said, it would produce a crop a hundredfold. That's a a good harvest, wouldn't you say? A hundredfold increased. And that's what kept the farmer going. That's what made the whole process worthwhile. That's what motivated the farmer not to be too uptight about the seed that was lost or didn't take root because what did take root was going to produce an incredible crop far surpassing that which was lost. And then Jesus said this, if you have ears to hear, then hear. And he wouldn't explain the parable. They had to figure it out for themselves. Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about the ministry of Jesus? So you can imagine the disciples, they're like, okay, what was that all about? We got to get him alone and find out what this parable was about. And so as soon as they could get Jesus to themselves, they would ask, Jesus, what was that parable all about? And Jesus would only explain the parable to his disciples. Only the disciples got the keys to understand what he meant. But before Jesus would explain this particular parable, he would tell his disciples why he used parables with the crowd. So let's check this out. Verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, I don't know about you, but often I've like thought about parables like this. They're a good sermon illustration. How many have thought of that? Like a parable is a sermon illustration, right? That's what it is. It's like, you know, we all know how pastors do this. They tell stupid stories about their dog and their children and I don't know, whatever it is, pastors use these stories from their own personal lives to, you know, just perfectly nicely place it in there to illustrate something and drive home. The point that they're trying to make and you're like, oh man, another story about his dog, another story about his this or that, whatever it is. We're accustomed to pastors and Bible teachers using illustrations, talking about their favorite hockey team that's not in the playoffs, whatever it is, okay? That is not what Jesus was doing when he used parables. Parables, listen, are not illustrations to make something more clear. When Jesus was telling a parable, this is very important to understanding parables, he was not trying to make a truth obvious. He was trying to hide truth. When Jesus told parables, he was hiding truth. And he was hiding it in plain sight. He used parables when he was trying to hide the truth and the crowd would hear it and not understand. They would hear and they would be intrigued. Go, Wow, what is that story about? I don't know, that was weird, you know? It's like, what's he talking about? It's like they would see and not see. They would hear and not hear. Jesus quotes from Isaiah, he says, they'll hear and not understand. Not that they would understand, but they wouldn't understand. He was hiding truth in front of them. See, when the disciples asked Jesus about the meaning of the parable, he told them, and he said, to you, I'm going to let in to the secrets of the kingdom. You're going to get to participate in the secrets of the kingdom, but to them, to the crowds, no explanation. To the disciples, he would explain the meaning of the parable when they asked, but for the crowd, it would be left unexplained, and they would be left without understanding and truth would be hidden from them. So when the disciples asked Jesus about the meaning of the parable, he quoted to them from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Isaiah, we've we just been through this on Wednesday night. We've been having fun on Wednesday nights. You should come and join us if you're free. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's free too. And you can come. And it's just fun on Wednesdays as we cruise through and We've been through this passage recently about Isaiah having a vision of the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6 where he saw the Holy One of Israel. And and Isaiah records that when he had his vision of the Lord, he fell on his face and he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I have seen the Lord. And then Isaiah chapter 6 tells us that an angel left the presence of the Lord, took a, a burning coal from the altar that was before the Lord and brought that coal and touched Isaiah's lips and said to him that his lips were made clean. And then Isaiah was called to go and to preach to the people of God. But God told him he would go and preach and people would not listen. He would preach and he would preach the word and it would be like they couldn't see. He would preach the word and it would be like they could not hear. He would preach the word, and it was like they would not understand, otherwise, they would turn and be healed. And Jesus said his own ministry was marked by the exact same reality that Isaiah had, except that Jesus used parables to intentionally hide the truth. Isn't that interesting? And I think, well, why would he do that? I mean, it's Jesus. Why would he intentionally hide the truth? Doesn't he's declaring the kingdom of God? Doesn't he want people to come into the kingdom? Of course he does, right? This is Jesus. Jesus desires everyone everywhere to get saved and to come to faith in him. But Jesus used parables because if he spoke the truth plainly, that's exactly what would happen. Everybody would just get saved. Think about this for a moment. Everyone would get saved and that's good, right? Don't we want that? To you and I, that's really good. I want everyone to get saved. God wants everyone to get saved. But to Jesus, Jesus would be taking people against their will. They would have no choice if he just spoke the truth plainly. Choosing him would not be an act of love. Choosing him would involve no faith. It would be to be taken against your will. When Jesus speaks, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the life. And unless he hides it in plain sight, you'd have no choice but to choose him. It's like this. It's like, you know, look at the creation out there for a minute. Like, look out there. Why can't one person look out there and see the beauty of that creation and give praise and honor to a living God? And another person look at that and say, wow, there is no God. I must be evolved from this or from that. One can see the handiwork of God and give God glory and praise. And another person can look at that and say, it's all chance. There's no design. Uh, You know, it must be hundreds of millions of years in time. And that's where it came from. What's the difference? It's simple. One person wants to see God and the other has no desire to see him. One wants to see God and one doesn't. Because if one sees God, you know, the one who sees God, with that comes responsibility to seek him, to discover who he is, to bring your life in line with what he says. The other who doesn't want to see God is because that allows him to continue in darkness. Lest he find out who God is and what God wants and then he might have to repent of his sin and have his deeds exposed and change his ways. Romans chapter 1 tells us that creation makes the reality of God so plain to all, and yet some can't see him. But they don't want it. When Jesus taught, the crowds had in front of them think about this, the creator of the universe. When Jesus taught in front of the crowds was the word made flesh, the one who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, the one who by his word sustains all things, the source of eternal life. Very God of very God was before those crowds. And Jesus is perfect. And he's so beautiful. He's so lovely that to hear his voice is to hear truth. To hear his voice and to take hold of his word is to know the truth and to have the truth set you free. See, Jesus is true freedom. There's no one like Jesus. If he didn't hide the truth from those people, they would have no choice but to believe in him. I always think this, you know, that Jesus always empowers personal choice. Tyrants take away choice. But Jesus, that's a story for another day. Jesus always empowers choice, you guys. Always. Because he loves us. And he wants us to respond to him in love. The truth had to be veiled. The truth had to be hidden in a parable. That way, if you didn't want to see, you didn't have to. If you didn't want to hear, you wouldn't understand. But if you wanted to understand, you could go and seek Jesus and he would give you the key to understanding. That's why he said this in other messages. Seek and you'll find. Oh, but I thought it was locked up, the truth. No, ask and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door will be opened to you. These are the secrets of the kingdom, Jesus said, and they belong to my disciples. The Lord reminded me of Psalm 34, verse 9 and 11, as I was thinking about this. Look at this. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. To me, those words are so messianic. If we could just leave that up there, that last verse. The disciples were like the children in that verse right there. Come, O children, listen to me, and I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. They heard the invitation, and they sought Jesus, and they asked for understanding, and he taught them the secrets of the kingdom, as it says, that they might fear the Lord and lack no good thing. Lack nothing. Isn't that what Paul says? For those who are in the kingdom and are disciples of Jesus, that they lack nothing. Can I tell you a story? Oh, man, I didn't know if I wanted to tell this, but I'm going to tell it. Shall I illustrate something? Oh man, on Friday, you know, it was like, Friday was a good day. I got up, I had my quiet time. It was just awesome. I went over to help Sean and Carla and some of you were over there. People were cleaning at the church and we like packed them up. And Isabel was already in the city. Lisa was going in in the afternoon. I was going in midday or just like all over the place because uh, my my, uh, great uncle, my grandpa's little brother passed away and he was 102 years old, went home to be with Jesus. So we were having a family celebration on Saturday for that, so, Isabel was in the city. I was going to meet her. So, I went to the ferry. I thought, okay, perfect. I'm going to do some sermon prep while I'm on the ferry. So, I stayed in my car, and uh, I got in that lane on the upper deck where it's the first lane that's going to head off the ferry, and uh, I was the second last vehicle. So, they squished one truck in behind me, and then I stayed in my car, and I, like, studied during, during the trip. I was just just reading this text, trying to soak in this text, and... Um and then the ferry docked and I went to start my car. No, nothing. I'm like, oh come on, seriously? So I, I jump out of the car and I, I put up my hood and I say the guy behind me, sorry, dead battery. So his passenger jumps out of the out of the truck and he says, Hey man, can you just like roll your vehicle forward? Because put it in neutral, roll it forward, because um, we can't back up because we're kind of the last vehicle. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that's a stupid idea. Like like a ship, the ocean, a vehicle in neutral, not a good idea. But I was flustered. So I didn't have the ability quite to communicate that. So I said, no, man, sorry, you'll just have to wait. The staff will be here in a second and I'll get a, I'll get a jump. And so he gets back in his truck and then he gets back out. And he's like, hey man, like I'm in a hurry. I just want to get off the ferry. And I'm like, look at dude, it's the, we're the first row. Like look at, they, the car in front of me just pulled away. I'm like, we'll be rolling in a minute. The staff will be here. And the guy loses it, man. Like he loses it. He's just swearing at me and he's calling me this name. He's calling me that name. And he moves from the side of his truck and he comes to the front of my car. And I lose it your pastor with explicitives. I'm like, why don't you go back to your vehicle and get back in there? And he's like, so now we're at the front of my car, nose to nose, and he's got his finger in my chest. And I'm like, what do you think you're going to do, man? And he's like, I'm going to follow you off the ferry. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, and people are rolling down their windows. They're like, they're yelling at us. Guys are swearing at it. And it's like I'm, like, I'm like, this is crazy, man. And, and then he walks away. He spits on my windshield. And then the ferry guy's there and I drive off. And I said, Lord, what the heck, man? I was like studying, preparing a sermon, man. <laughs> and look what's come out of me, Lord. Where did that come from? You know, Calvin, I appreciate you just <laughs> lofting this up, talking about your anger this morning. yeah and I tell you that to tell you a story of the danger of pride and sin and the soil of a heart because I realized as I was doing my sermon prep that I was just like reading and my heart had been trampled all over and the seed wasn't getting in Jesus told a story about a farmer spreading seed, and this was so common to everyday life that you might be tempted to think, what was the point of that? But look what he says, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And I'm like, oh, okay, knowing this is the key that unlocks this parable. The seed is the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The word of God is imperishable seed, Peter said. So there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is not the problem in the parable. Let's read on here, verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy but these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, they fall away. But as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Jesus says, you guys, the key to this whole parable is that the seed is the word of God and the ground represents different kinds of people, different kinds of hearts. Jesus Jesus is saying that, that when you scatter the word of God, there will be different responses, not because there is anything wrong with the word not because there is anything wrong with the seed but because there are different kinds of soil different conditions of the human heart preachers know this preachers probably know this better than anybody cuz you know you know sunday mornings over and one person says that was a real blessing this morning pastor and another one says that was a little long this morning you know you could have gone shorter One person goes to sleep and another sits on the edge of their seat. So you should move forward and I'll know where you're at this morning. (laughs) Some understand that the truth of what is being taught when the word of God is being declared and others don't understand. What's the difference Jesus said to his disciples? It's the soil. It's the soil. In fact, I can tell you, Uh, in all humility that sometimes I teach the word of God and some of of you come to me and you say, wow, that was awesome. This morning I learned this. And I'm like, wow, that's really good because I had no intention of communicating that. That thought did not cross my mind. I mean, the spirit of God revealed that to you from the word of God. (laughs) You know, I'm like, Like honestly, sometimes on a Sunday morning you guys come to me afterwards or Sunday night at prayer and we're yabbing about things. I'm like, wow, that insight is way deeper than anything I ever saw in the text. And that's a gift to you from the Holy Spirit and the word of God because of your desire to hear truth. But sometimes our lives are like trampled paths. You know, everything has the freedom to walk over your life and through your life. Every wind of doctrine The ground is pressed down hard because you'll listen to anything. Everything that floats across the screen of your device or your computer or your iPad has your attention. The word of God comes to you. There's nothing wrong with the seed of God's word, but the ground has so much traffic going over it that the seed can't penetrate and the birds of the air, which in scripture are uh, pictures of demons, come and snatch it away. Others' lives are like shallow soil. Hard stone beneath the surface. The seed can take root, but when there's just a little bit of heat in life, it gets scorched and the plant dies, and the plant is exposed that it has a, a shallow root. It makes me think this you know, like every one of us as followers of Jesus, you need heat in your life. The Lord will allow heat to blaze on your life to expose your roots. So he can say, look at you're shallow here. We have to deal with this. Others, their lives are complicated and entangled by their desires. Jesus said they're like weeds. It's interesting, he says, rich or poor, it doesn't make a difference. You know, the poor person, they're consumed by their cares. The rich person consumed by their riches and both are consumed by their desires for pleasure. But then Jesus said, There's good soil. And when the seed of God's word lands on good soil, that seed takes root and it produces a crop a hundredfold. One seed bringing forth a hundredfold crop. Isn't that amazing? That's what keeps farmers going. The farmer knows three quarters, in this culture, he knows three quarters of his seed that he sows, it it will not produce, not because there's anything wrong with the seed, but because there's something wrong with the soil. And the preaching of God's word is the same. Three quarters of it may produce nothing, but when it takes root, oh man. Man. The harvest is amazing. The hundredfold harvest is worth it for that one person. Jesus had a very popular ministry. I mean, the crowds were unbelievable, and let, yet he knew this. Three-quarters of what he was teaching was falling on deaf ears. See, when you handle the Word of God, it's very helpful to operate with this understanding so that you're not discouraged. Like, this is actually, I would say, for those in ministry, a key to longevity in ministry. To recognize and not be discouraged by hard ground and shallow soil and navigating weeds, because when the word takes root, it is awesome. When five people stand in front of your church and they say, This is what I'm learning about being a disciple, man, I live for that. It's like the perfect pass. Setting someone up for a goal. Or like that one putt that makes up for the 100 misses, Greg. Or like a blown opportunity on the ferry to share Jesus, because that was a surefire miss, man. I was swinging the sword. I hope Jesus heals those ears. When Jesus told the parable of the seed and the sower to the crowd, he, he concluded with these words, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. They all had ears. It's kind of a funny statement, isn't it? It's like, everybody's got ears. Peter's not swinging the sword, chopping people's ears off yet. That hasn't happened. Everyone could hear. You know, I'll tell you, when we went to... Uh, Pastor Ed Hickey and I went to the Mercy and Caring Home in 2018 and we did a discipleship class, a three-day retreat for a bunch of pastors in the area. And it was was awesome. It was a great experience. But I have to tell you, there was one guy. There was one guy that made that entire trip worth everything. His name's Eric. Er Eric was a pastor and He came to me and he said this, he said, you know, for years, I've been hearing North American pastors come to Kenya and they talk about all sorts of stuff and they talk about money. And then I watch and I go and see how they live at night and how they act in our country. But you and your pastor, you've come and you've put tools into our hands about how to make disciples and how to invest in people. And this guy, man, you guys, he has gone on a for the kingdom of God, leading people to Jesus, discipling people. He was speaking before 300 pastors in Nairobi a few weeks ago, sharing what has happened for him. It's like the seed took root in one man's life and it was all worth it. All worth it. And Jesus understood this. You just cast the seed. Man, and when it takes root, look out. Now in our Bibles, you know, the scriptures, if you look at, look at your Bible, hopefully you got a Bible in your hands. If not, you should be bringing one to church. In in the Bible, sometimes the text is divided up with these subject headings, and sometimes they're helpful. Other times they're a bit of a hindrance, and they get in the way. And You know, editors have added them later. They're not part of the inspired text, but they were, not in the original, but they were added to help us, you know, navigate the scriptures, find spots, find themes. But sometimes these subtitles get in the way, and this is one of those spots. Between verse 15 and 16, my Bible says a, a lamp under a jar, but in the original language, there's no break here. There's no break. There's no change of scene. It's not like Jesus turns from the disciples and now speaks to the crowds or that this is a different time or a different instance or they went to a new community. He's teaching something here and he's staying on the exact same theme as he has just explained the parable of the seed and the soil and the sower to his disciples. You know, sometimes in my Bible, I will put a line through that heading and I'll put there's no division here. So let's get this in our hearts. There's no change of scene. He's just explained and he follows up with two sentences and it doesn't seem at first like they have anything to do with this explanation that he's just given. Verse 16, let's see this. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who, the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus says this to them. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a jar, under a bull, is our old saying, or under your bed. We understand this. Like, you know, in our houses, we don't build our houses and put our lights on the floor. We put them in the ceiling. We put them above our heads. We set the lights up high so that they will give light to the room and it's the most effective way and most effective use of a light. And it's the most effective way to drive out darkness. You set the light up high. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, hear this, Once I give you light, lift it up. Once you're given light, lift it up. To you I give the secrets of the kingdom. Now lift them up. Jesus called himself the light of the world, but he also said this to his disciples. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, and light allows one to see and exposes darkness. Jesus said, "Light, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is telling these men, you now have influence because I give you light. You have influence. Don't hide it. Shine it. And when you shine light, darkness is exposed. Things that are hidden come into the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And when people are pointed to Jesus and pointed to his person and what he's done, to them, their darkness will become evident. Then Jesus gave a warning. He says these two things about light and darkness, and then he gives them a warning. Look again at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus says, If you're my disciple, you need to look after your ears. Take care of your ears. Those who have will receive more. Those who have little or none will lose even what they think they do have. You know, the word of God is like, it's a living, it's a living document. The word of God is a living document person, the Lord Jesus, and it has a dynamic relationship with every single one of us. When the word of God is taught or when you read it, you are never the same. Never. you get more or you'll get less. I realized the Lord was teaching me on Friday morning, you're getting less because I don't have your ear. And the key to this parable about light and the parable about the seed and the sower is the same. It has to do with your ears. In the first parable, Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. In the second, he said, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Remember that line, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. In the middle of the whole conversation, he quoted Isaiah. And he said to his disciples, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and that hearing they may not understand. Jesus has talked about hearing three times here, really quickly. This is his a lesson for his disciples to pay attention to their hearing, and then something very interesting happens that is not disconnected from this story. Verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. What is being illustrated here? Even what you think you have can be taken away from you. Two surprising things Jesus does here. He disowns his mother. Happy Father's Day. I don't think it was Mother's Day that day. He disowned his mother and his brothers. See, they thought they had a certain level of, of relationship with Jesus on the basis of flesh and blood. And Jesus says, you have to be careful about what you hear because it can be taken away. Even what you think you have can be taken away from you. And then he did this to this crowd, to his disciples. He defined his new family. Verse 21, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. I mean, if you are in the family of Jesus, if you are in the family of Jesus, here's the characteristic of your life. You will listen to God's word and you will put it into practice. And if you don't listen, you're not in. Let me give you five quick applications this morning. Number one, take care how you hear. Take care of your ears, church. Number two, take care of the condition of your heart. The soil has to be tended to, man. Friday, I had to do some business with the Lord. Number three, I think that this is just a good practice. When you come to the Word of God and you spend time with Jesus, ask for understanding ask for the Spirit to teach you. Uh, The psalmist said, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The, The key to that is seek. Fourth, if the Lord has given you light, then shine it. Hold it up high for all to see. Point people to Jesus. And the fifth thing is simply this, deal with hidden things. Deal with the hidden things of your heart and life, because that's What light will do, it will cause secret things to be made known. And the call of Jesus to his disciples is to sort that stuff out in their lives. Jesus (laughs) hid parables, hid hid the truth from the crowd in parables because he was the truth. I am not the truth. (laughs) I've been given the truth. You fully have the ability to resist anything I say. I don't have to hide what I say. You don't have to hide what you say. Jesus had to hide what he said because otherwise you couldn't resist him. And so let me speak plainly and truly this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're not a part of the family of God. Jesus said this, his mother and his brothers, those who are in the family of God, are those who hear his voice and listen. And he instructed this, that the way into the kingdom of God was through repentance of sin, to turn from sin, and faith, to place your faith in him as your personal Lord and Savior. And so this morning, if you're watching online with us, if you're here with us, you don't know Jesus, let me hold it out plainly to you. The way into the family of God, into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus, is to hear what he has to say about the kingdom and to receive him. To repent of sin and to turn your loyalty to King Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Lord Jesus... This morning, as we consider your word, Lord, we want to be men and women who hear. So, Lord, we just tend to our hearts right now, praying, God, that you would break up the rocky ground, praying, praying, Lord, you'd break up the hard ground, praying, Lord Jesus, that you'd pull up the weeds. Lord, we just repent this morning of sin in our lives. We pray, God, that you would forgive us. Lord, wash us in the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we just confess that apart from you, uh, we have no life. You, Jesus, and knowing you is life and life eternal. And so, Jesus, would you forgive us our sins? We just uh, place our faith in you this morning and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Come and be the Lord of our lives, Jesus, we pray. Father, this morning we pray that we would not be men and women upon which the seed of God's word would land and produce nothing. Lord, I pray here this morning that our lives would produce hundredfold for the kingdom of God. Jesus, that our church would produce hundredfold for the kingdom of God. We pray, Jesus, that you would use us for your glory and for your name. Lord Jesus, we look to you with uh, hope, knowing, Lord, that you're the truth, you're the way, you're the life. And in you we trust this morning, Lord. And all God's people said, amen.